0: Welcome to the Whiskey Rebellion. This is David Silken in Edinburgh, joined as always by Frank Cogliano, who is back in his sconce in, in Charlottesville. How are things there, Frank?
1: Uh they are great this morning, David. Um I mean, you're having some really bad weather in, in Scotland at the moment. It's actually it's, it's quite very Scottish, here for yes, early yes.
0: December. Uh, <laughs> I, I am I am envious. Um I have a, I, I've got a,
1: I've got a, I've got breaking news. If I, if I might, David,
0: yo, please break breaking news in a history podcast. Is, Great. Okay. In
1: response to our last episode, I heard from a listener, a, a longtime listener, Mimi in Edinburgh. Oh, geez. Um, she's um, told to who, stop it and get, and get on with your life. No, no, no. In fact, because we raised the question of what, what, whether we should, what we should do going forward. Once you become Florida, man, um, <laughs> her view is we should continue and okay. she takes her responsibility i mean she listens assiduously to make sure that i'm not bullying you too much um, <laughs> she seemed to think that i was bullying you a lot in the last episode because we were so enthusiastic to be back but anyway uh, okay. so well, we've heard from a listener who wants us to uh to to continue so we'll factor find- that in
0: I actually I've also heard of uh, 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 from a couple of listeners who have encouraged us to continue. So thank you very much, uh, listeners, for taking the time to write us, encourage us to keep doing this. I'm curious that Mimi has a rubric about how much bullying is the right amount of bullying, and and, and just to make sure it stays within the proper bounds.
1: She would prefer that I don't bully you at all, but she seems to think that our relationship is set in a certain way. Fair, that is not my relationship with her. My relationship with you is operates in a certain way. And then ah, it okay, seems to fair, work fair. for us. And as, as long as I don't sort of violate your human rights, it's okay. Oh, I don't know. All right. Speaking of violating human rights. Um, ah.
0: segue. Well right. done,
1: David. That was good. Um,
0: uh, early this week, uh, Henry Kissinger, the the former national security advisor and secretary of state uh, and author and academic and a number of other things passed away after a very long life at the age of 100. Um, Many listeners, I imagine, have seen various uh, thought pieces about about Kissinger and his legacy. uh, And we've decided rather than repeat all of those uh, to try to, to do something entirely different and try to put... Kissinger in some context, because he is a interesting and an unusual figure in American history.
1: Yes. Before we do that, though, David, can I can I just reflect on one of the thought pieces that came out that was obviously obviously um, various institutions had their obituaries ready to go because mm. Henry Kissinger was 100 years 100, old. Yes. But. Uh, Rolling Stone had a spe- piece by Spencer Ackerman, which a lot of people probably read, but the headline it, it deserves consideration, which was and this came out within minutes of his death henry kissinger war criminal beloved by america's ruling class finally dies as headlines go i actually thought oh that's got to be the onion yeah, <laughs> the satirical no. new, uh, news site but it was not it was it was rolling stone ackerman's piece was really really detailed it was a very mm-hmm. long long piece um, although basically uh, the headline sums up its thesis and, and its perspective. Um, by contrast, um, foreign affairs, which is to a certain extent, the 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 um, organ of the uh, of received wisdom for Washington when it comes to foreign policy, uh, talked about and and let me make sure I have this right. It talked about his complicated legacy and. Um, I believe the way they framed it, it was um, Kissinger's contradictions, how strategic insight and moral myopia shaped America's greatest statesman. So I'm interested that they described him as America's greatest statesman, and that might factor into our deliberations. And to just give you one more to help frame this, maybe in its obituary, the Guardian in, in Britain described, said of Kissinger, Kissinger reached greater heights of political influence than any previous immigrant to the U.S., so I'm interested in this framing of him as a successful immigrant, and I wonder whether it's true that he is the most, he was until that point, the most successful immigrant in terms of his political influence, or and, and or whether he was the greatest American statesman. So those are two things to throw into the yeah. mix. Um,
0: and before we sort of dive into the, the the comparative mode, I think it's probably helpful to, to just remind listeners just to, to, the, the concise biography of Kissinger, just so we're all Playing from the the, the same scorecard. Uh, so Kissinger was born a hundred years ago in 1923 in Germany. Uh, he came to the United States uh, in 1938 as a as a refugee from the Nazis. His family were were was Jewish, and he was from a middle class Jewish background. Uh, he becomes a U.S. citizen, fights in uh, for in the army during World War II. Um, is there at the Battle of the Bulge, doing various things. He helps to liberate a concentration camp, helps to round up Gestapo at the end of, of, of the war, uh, but then spends the next couple of decades as an academic. He gets an undergraduate and PhD from Harvard. Uh, he's famous for writing the longest undergraduate uh, thesis in Harvard history, or at least up to that point. And, um, uh, and a, a very long PhD. Uh, but then uh, he's, what he's most well known for is being national security advisor Uh, and later Secretary of State under uh, first Nixon and then Ford. As such, he was um, arguably the second most important person in in the country, at least in terms of foreign policy and arguably at particular moments, the guy really running the foreign policy show uh, while Nixon was distracted by other things. Um, He's most famous for opening up China um shuttle diplomacy at the yom kippur war um obviously vietnam and expanding the war in vietnam uh, into cambodia uh, and laos in in ways that it hadn't been before Uh, he wins the nobel peace prize in 1973 for helping to negotiate some kind of peace in vietnam but he also gets heavily criticized for his role in Argentina's dirty war Indonesia's uh, crackdown in East Timor uh Pakistan's uh brutality in Bangladesh uh, overthrowing a democratic regime in Chile uh and on and on and on um and since then uh since leaving office in 1977 I guess he spent the next close to 50 years being a how would you describe him? A, a public intellectual, a, a commentator on political affairs, an advisor to a variety of presidents. He worked uh, both in academics and in consulting. Um, he consulted with lots of corporations for how to function in China and other places. Um, but he is obviously most known for this period in the in the late 60s and early 70s with Nixon.
1: Yeah, I mean he's more than a public intellectual, I think, during the that latter half of his life, and it is nearly half of his life, um, because he's still a kind of mover and shaker. I mean, this is the you know, that that Rolling Stone headline, you know, yeah. beloved of America's ruling class is 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 a good point. He 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 advised every president after he you know after he went into private life, basically, um down to Joe Biden and Donald Trump um, Mm -hmm. on matters uh, relating to foreign policy. And despite being heavily involved in the Nixon administration was basically seen as a kind of bipartisan figure in this second half in in, in his eminence Mm grease portion of his of his career. And he's seen as a kind of wise man um, offering advice to administrations of either hue uh, on, on matters relating to foreign policy. Despite a, you know, as the um, as some of the headlines suggest, a not unproblematic uh, history, which you, yeah. you, you briefly summed up. I mean, but 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 he he achieved uh, a level of power and influence, or maintained a level of power and influence, um, well after he officially, you know, after he demitted office officially. He wrote very, very long memoirs. He wrote a lot of books during his retirement. He puts the rest of us to shame, but several very long memoirs to try and kind of shape his reputation, and I think effectively did so, um, which is why he was he was you know, maintained his social and political position. He was also, and I say social deliberately, he was active on the New York social scene, and he dated actresses and things like that. So, so he he remained. A kind of fixture in Washington and New York, mm-hmm. and maintained his power. Nixon did a little of this as well, um, and and bo- both because uh, they both achieved it. I think by leaning in. I mean, Kissinger had no choice, but Nixon made a choice leaning into their expertise in foreign affairs and international relations. And so they were seen as sort of um, above partisanship in the latter stages of their lives. And Kissinger was pretty effective in this. You know, he, 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 he consulted closely with Hillary Clinton while she was the secretary of state. Um, And, and um, so, so he, I think he was, he was a public intellectual you're right. And I guess if we have to give him a category after that, uh, I guess it's the one he fits in, but he was more than that. I mean, I think he was he was an influencer. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the social media kind of way, but in the you know power kind I mean, of way.
0: It, it struck me though that, that he, he he's a bizarre figure. Because he he on one like dated actresses. He liked being in the spotlight. On the other hand, he was weirdly secretive about things and he was paranoid, you know, and and Nixon said he was paranoid. And when Nixon says you're paranoid, <laughs> um, that says something. He also said he was like one of the things he liked about uh Kissinger was how secretive he was, and Nixon also had that uh, sort of proclivity. Um, you know, so somebody who 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 relished attention and relished self-aggrandizement, I think, you know, part of uh reason why he, he gets credited as being a great statement, statesman, as he he told people he was a great statesman. Um, right. Uh, so, you know, he was good at, at that kind of, of self-advertising, um, you know, and he... Was somebody that 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 people on on both parties consulted? This actually includes both time before Nixon. He offered it, his services to Hubert Humphrey uh, in 16. Right, that's well. right. So so and he came up as a as a Nelson Rockefeller Republican, you know, and was consulting with him before he was consulting with Nixon. Um, so he's somebody who's was interested in foreign policy, but didn't didn't get overly involved in the domestic politics of it. Um, I mean, what? Well, yeah, he's a very strange figure, tries to figure out how to place him and, and, and figure out what context to put him in. Um, I should say that, that, that even though people like Hillary Clinton consulted with him, they didn't always agree with him or listen, you know, they listened to him and then said, thank you, Henry, and then did something entirely different. Um, so, I mean, he's somebody that people consulted with but didn't always um, take his advice.
1: Well, that's right. and And his... Periodic visits to Washington and going to the the White House or, or to the State Department may simply have been photo opportunities for him. So though yeah, mm. and, and but he was always well received, and you get the you know, the smiling photograph or whatever, or the serious photograph. Mm. But um you're right. I mean, to the extent that he continued to have influence, um, that may be debatable. Although he did he did continue to write a lot and, yeah. and not just self-aggrandizing memoirs, but wrote books about Sino-American relations and things like this in the future of the Middle East and 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 sought to kind of continue to shape the conversation mm. that way. All right. I and mean, I think he, he did, I think
0: that, that point about the serious photo, I think, is is, is intriguing because I think one of the things that he symbolized was the the sort of realpolitik, politics of being about power and about how to, to use it. And, you know, for a, a president or or secretary of state to to meet with Kissinger's and say, look, this is the kind of thinking work and it could potentially engage in is this kind of power politics uh, uh, that, that Kissinger was famous for.
1: That's right. And and I mean, the Guardian's obituary was interesting because, of course, the Guardian is a non-U.S. newspaper. Um, and it its kind of leitmotif was, well, look, he was dedicated to maintaining American power. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 that that was his you know that was really his ideolo- ideology and his, and what he was most committed to as well as being quite proud that as an immigrant um he was able to achieve the the status he did and influence he did uh and, but but the, the maintenance of american power was was what really drove him and that had bipartisan appeal for for um uh, well, for his entire life, but certainly in the during the Cold War post immediate post Cold War period, and therefore, you know, he did if he to the extent he maintained his influence, it was because he was telling those in power what they wanted to hear. No, to be sure. Um, to be sure.
0: All right, so let's let's play the comparative games. You you had several ways of, of thinking about Kissinger, Frank. That let's let's see if we can put him into some context, uh, or at least some hey. uh, interesting bedfellows.
1: So yeah, so I want to start with David is does so again to to quote the Guardian, he reached greater heights of political influence than any previous immigrant to the US. What do you think? I have thoughts on this. Okay, so 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 I I have
0: two questions before I before I answer. How are you defining influence? Okay,
1: good and how are you defining immigrant uh, yes those are two very very important qualifiers um i would say well so so for example because the name that will probably come to many people's minds because mm. they've seen hamilton or listened to the soundtrack would mm. be well obviously alexander hamilton is and i would with due respect to lin-manuel miranda and, and I'm very sympathetic to that theme in the show, mm. but I would not consider Alexander Hamilton an immigrant to the United States for two reasons. He migrated from one British colony to another. So we don't consider people who moved from Virginia to Massachusetts uh, to be immigrants in the colonial mm. period or the early national period. But colonial is also an important word here. He also migrated to British North America. He did not migrate to the United States. Right. So but I would no say Alexander in, Yeah there's no change in his status as a subject of, of, of the King. And so therefore I would not consider Alexander Hamilton an immigrant to the United States. Um, although again, very sympathetic to the, to the, the theme of the, of the show. So don't, this is not, uh, please don't, you know, Hamilton stands. Don't come after me. Um, that's why
0: immigrants get things done is more about
1: the 21st century than about the, uh, 18th. The 18th. Yeah, of course. So I think somebody has to be born outside of the United States or what became the United States and migrate to the United States. So migrating to the colonies doesn't count. So Albert Gallatin, who people probably haven't, not as many of our listeners will be familiar with, who was the secretary of the treasury during the Jefferson's presidency Mm. counts as an immigrant because he was born in Switzerland and moved in the 1780s to the United States. So uh, I think Albert Gallatin and Albert Gallatin is a, is a figure who may well um, fit the bill because he was very influential in that early period. So what did he do besides being secretary of of treasury? Well, he was secretary of the treasury at an important time because he he, um, Jeffersonian Finance, you know, when when Jefferson came to power, um, ostensibly he did so with the intent of repudiating the Hamiltonian fiscal prog- program, um, and and Gallatin really kind of kept it going and made it compatible with Jeffersonian Republicanism, which was important for things like paying for the Louisiana Purchase, among other things, uh, or the purchase of Louisiana. Um, so so Gallatin's quite he's probably along with James Madison the most important. They're they're the two most important people in Jefferson's cabinet. Um, so so Gallatin's an important figure. Whether he's as important as Kiss Kissinger, I don't know. But I would I would nominate him. I think I would give you two other, well, three others mm-hmm. uh, in response. And I want to hear yours. Um, I think Madeleine Albright has a claim. And, and they very, have a similar biography in some way. Yes. She's very Kissingerian. I mean, she, she's a little bit younger. I think she's 15 years younger, um, but roughly of the same vintage. They are she too was descended from you know, or uh, um her her family were Jewish refugees from from the turmoil of the Second World War, uh who migrated uh, um, uh, or fled nazism and became a foreign policy um uh, salon in the united states and very influential she closely follows the kind of Kissinger model her politics are very different and her mm-hmm. view of the world is different she's she's definitely of the, of the left she's a democrat um and and less bipartisan i guess than than Kissinger was um uh, i don't think she's quite as influential as Kissinger was she wasn't you know she but but i think she's she would be a candidate pardon me uh two that i think are perhaps more intriguing and perhaps i think more influential andrew carnegie mm. is the wealthiest man in the united states he's undoubtedly an immigrant from our our adopted home of scotland um andrew carnegie i should say to pronounce him as in scottish way not not in his american um incredibly influential politically just by virtue of his his wealth and power hmm. um and because of the legacy he bequeathed through his philanthropy i mean carnegie carnegie's um uh, actions during his lifetime like Kissinger's, are not un, you know are not uncomplicated <laughs> um hmm. especially where labor relations are concerned uh however he, the legacy he bequeathed through his philanthropy continues to shape and influence the world to this day. Um and, and so I think Carnegie has a better claim than Kissinger for being the most influential, politically influential migrant in in US history. Mm. But another one to consider, and and uh I say I am certainly not necessarily endorsing this individual, but whose influence is pretty tough to, to exaggerate, is Elon Musk.
0: To be sure. I think anytime someone's the richest person in the world and is engaging in the
1: public sphere the
0: way that he does. um,
1: Well, and not just that. I mean, we we know how influential Twitter has been X now X politically, although that may be declining. But even its decline is influence is a form of influence. But also he's you know, his. His satellite network has been mm. has been uh, integral to the war in Ukraine, and 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 it's integral to U.S. defense. I mean, his his influence is much more far reaching than simply Tesla, and even Twitter now X. Uh, but mm. I, but there's a there's an argument that Elon Musk may well be might well be more influential when all is said and done than Kissinger. Again, I, I mean, a very very odd character let's put it let's try to be neutral about this but so i would. I, I think albright is similar to kissinger although probably not as influential mm. i think andrew carnegie and and elon musk though are probably um uh, and now the guardian did say any previous immigrant so that probably rules out Musk, because obviously oh, he, he's he, he post Kissinger. Yeah. But I, I so so it seems to me uh, this is a long-winded answer, David. M- I would pose: we've got Andrew Carnegie versus Henry Kissinger, and Carnegie is more influential. What do you think? So I think
0: it partially depends on how one defines influence. I mean the the, the with Kissinger, clearly you know he he never holds holds elective office; he holds you know, National Security Advisor and Secretary of State, you know, his power that he had was not power that he wielded, it's power that he exercised through his ability to influence other people to do things, right, um, you know, either either Nixon or Ford, and then obviously all the people he influences subsequent to that as is, is a consultant, um, so that's, what, you know, one way of thinking about what influence is, uh, you know, Andrew... You know Carnegie, Carnegie, call him however you want to, you know, employed hundreds of thousands of people, commanded a tremendous amount of, of personal wealth and political power as a consequence, and obviously all the philanthropy that we've we've talked about in the past shows. I think that that demonstrates his ability to actually act of his own will, which is a different way of thinking about influence and changing society. Um the 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 name that comes to mind and, and both all of the names you've mentioned were ones that occurred to me as well. uh John Muir, also thinking in the the train of, of Scottish immigrants. If you think about what is it about, you know, the uh, having a lasting influence in the United States by uh, an immigrant. Uh, you know, I think the national park system uh, that that Muir is rightly credited as being being the the father of it in a way. um You know, it's not something he did on his own. It's something he did with you know, through the influence of, of, of Teddy Roosevelt and other people. Um, but I think he, you know, fundamentally changed what the United States is and what the United States looks like. Uh, so I would include him. Um, um, just for giggles, I'm going to put Arnold Schwarzenegger as being an, an interesting and important, you know, immigrant of, of, of influence in as much as, you know, uh, or, Remarkably successful athlete and highest-paid movie star and governor of the largest state in the country.
1: Um, yeah, I don't think that's a giggle. I actually thought about him. I mean, I, I guess because he didn't, he was a name I thought of as well. I guess because he didn't um, pursue politics much. Be well, he was governor of California. California, of California, right? California yeah. for a while. But but he did, and he couldn't, of course gone further than that because no. he wasn't born in the united states so we're not going to get any presidents on yeah, this list to so, be sure yeah i i think that's a, a you no know, i don't think uh in terms of cultural impact combined with political influence and, and a very interesting you know he's a he i mean he still acts a little bit but, but basically he's had a post a very interesting post hollywood career
0: mm, I I to be yeah. sure. and i think he's still very involved in political issues and environmental things and yeah what have you so uh uh, interesting uh, figure and hard to sort of put in, a, you know, like Kissinger. sort of hard to put in a box and say like, who else is in, you know fits this uh, easily. Uh, it's intriguing to me that that Kissinger held so much power with hold, holding political office, right? That that can, what other figures in American history have wielded as much influence or power? Thinking about how you want to phrase those things, without actually being elected.
1: Well, I think there the the comparison to Hamilton isn't isn't good one because hmm. Hamilton's influence was pretty profound in shaping the future economic development of the United States in really important ways. Um, you know, and he did so as a as a uh, mainly as Treasury Secretary. So I think that's a I think there the 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 um, comparison is apt when I think about people like. George C Marshall yeah, I think Marshall uh both as a as a um uh military leader but also as a as a again uh, uh, cabinet secretary had a huge amount of influence in shaping the subsequent development of the United States and frankly the world in the immediate aftermath of the Second World War. I think so I think Hamilton and Marshall come to mind as figures who have a really outsized influence. Who didn't hold political office or if they yeah um so, so those are two that office, yeah. yeah elected office yeah sorry yeah that's that's the right way to frame it um yep yeah, so you know um yeah what do you what do
0: you think well the names that came to my mind in that respect um frederick Douglass. yep both in terms of of his work as an abolitionist his work to to help persuade Lincoln to, to embrace emancipation and, and having African-American soldiers and citizens. I would say Martin Luther King would be in that category as well, as somebody who, who fundamentally reshaped politics and, and, and political life. But in terms of somebody who is sort of an active consultant, uh, I'm going to throw a sort of an odd one in there, Billy Graham, in as much Explain as, that one, David, well, for our so, listeners. So Billy Graham um, was an uh, American evangelist uh, starting in the 1950s, really, until his death in, oh, he died in like 2018 or something. Um, and, you know, he was a Southern Baptist minister, but he really is one of the people who... Um, was really effective at using television and, and radio uh, as means of ministry, but he goes on to become a spiritual advisor for all manner of political leaders, um, basically from you know Eisenhower on on down. Um, that you know, there he, he's somebody who meets with presidents, who prays with presidents of, of both political parties. Uh, so somebody who has sort of that that kind of um, like you know weirdly like Kissinger, although I think the two of them are very different kinds of men. Um, you know somebody who who was consulted and therefore influenced a, a large number of of people who had lots of political power. Um, I don't think any of them would be either of them would be happy with that comparison. Um, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but they they do have that sort of revolving role in the White House. Um, as people who are or seen as being particular, uh, particularly both yeah, somebody who had an open door to the Oval Office.
1: Okay, this is uh, this a uh, topic for a different podcast, I suspect. But mm. why would you pick Billy Graham over Jerry Falwell? Say now, uh, Falwell's different, but there is a direct line link between the two in the sense that Falwell's part of the um, kind of. Political embrace of the Republican Party and evangelical religion, so it's much more partisan than Graham, yeah. which oh, I think oh, might be oh, the answer. Be sure. Yeah, yeah, but no, but think... but in terms of the influence and the the influence on the current direction of the country, one only needs to look at the current Speaker of the House. Um, oh, to, to be sure. So 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 make the case for Graham over Falwell, David. Well, I,
0: I think the thing that that makes Graham interesting is that you know he had a very is the sort of bipartisan nature of his fellowship. You know, he had a very close relationship with, with Lyndon Johnson. He had a very close relationship with Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon did not have a close relationship with Lyndon Johnson, right? So the fact that, that you know, in, you know, a whole series of political administrations, regardless of, 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 you know, I, I think Graham was actually technically a Democrat. I think he was registered as Democrat, although you know what it meant to be a Democrat from the South in the mid 20th century is obviously a, a, a you know moving target. Um, but you know he's somebody who who, who was seen as being a sort of both influential in politics but also above politics, and somebody you consult in a time of crisis. And I think Kissinger was also sort of seen as somebody you consult in a time of crisis. Um, you know and and in, to that extent there's a whole category i think of, of sort of foreign policy senior statesmen that get called in in times of crisis for you know um when, when things really do go south So dean atchison i think would fall in this category uh george cannon might fall in this category um you know people who have profound expertise and 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 potentially judgment um That that do get sort of brought in in times of crisis, regardless of the sort of politics of of the moment.
1: Um, Do you think that that role is disappearing? Because in many respects, it was a, it's an outgrowth of the, the old belief that, you know, politics is supposed to stop at the water's edge. In other words, although Americans are divided internally, uh, over political questions, when it comes to foreign policy, uh, the establishment at least is meant to pre- present mm-hmm. uh, a united, uh, a single face, and that in recent years that hasn't been the case. I mean, we've seen politics and part, sorry, partisanship and foreign policy really intersect in 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 profound ways, at least since 2016, maybe even earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, so so one only needs to look at the current. Um, responses of the main parties to the wars in ukraine and gaza for example to see that you know foreign policy is now infle- inflected with um uh, domestic pol- political concerns uh maybe it always has been but there was always a sense before that the wise men mm. um and women would kind of that you would would kind of Provide guidance and 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 um help the United States when it came to foreign policy in ways that weren't partisan or or were above partisanship. But we maybe we're entering a phase where that's no longer true. Yeah, I think that I think that is the case.
0: I mean, I think the fact you know, the fact that Kissinger offered his services to both Nixon um and, and Hubert Humphrey in 1968, you cannot see a foreign policy advisor doing that today and saying yeah I'll work for whoever is 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 in power because I think you know I have something to offer to them I don't I, I think you're right that 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 um these kinds of, of senior statesman role or even sort of non-partisan experts um you know are few and far between um or at least they're a dying breed they don't they don't seem to have the influence they once did um, so Kissinger was, I think, you know, by training an academic. So I think we have to sort of, I don't know, we need to claim him or wrestle with that. Um, but uh, or uh, what other academics do you think have had a similar kind of influence, depending on how you want to define that? Uh, that you, you put at least in 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 league with with Kissinger.
1: So again, now we're, uh, I mean, I know you like to define things, David, we have to say, how are we defining an academic? Because lots of politicians become academics, but I don't you think know. that's the category we're talking about. No, I people, don't think... who, people who start off as academics. Right. So not somebody who, you know, does a stint at the Kennedy school after they lose an election. That's no, not yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't count. Somebody, uh-huh. somebody who actually like got a
0: like advanced degree, um, you know, who, who sees themselves first and foremost, at least at some point in their life as a. Scholar or academic? Okay.
1: Well, the role changes, of course, because the two examples I have that immediate—well, I've got three that come to mind. One, which is more germane uh, than the other two. So the one that's germane, I suppose, is Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Hmm. Although he really was a kind of politician, come academic, and I—I—I I, I, I should have done more homework for this. I'm hmm. not sure. I'd have to look at his CV to see exactly uh, the chronology of when he was a politician and when he was an academic, but he's interesting because he also worked quite closely with, um, or, or coincided his, his period of influence coincided with the early part of Kissinger's career. So I, I, I think there are some links there and Mm -hmm. he wrote very thoughtfully and controversially, um, about, race in the United States in the 1960s uh, and became a policymaker. So he's one and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on him. Mm-hmm. The other two I'm going to reach back in history for these and and uh these are less uh they they may not quite fit the bill because the notion of a, what an academic is is a modern one and these these guys antedated and they are mm-hmm. men. Um uh, so John Quincy Adams okay was a professor at Harvard uh, I mean, he was always a public figure and political figure because he, you know, he was hanging around with his father as a kind of secretary to to American dipl- diplomats in Europe as a teenager. Mm. But soon, you know, he was—I think he was a professor of rhetoric at Harvard or, or literature, you know, he, he at Harvard before he went into the Senate and before he. Um, so, 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 I think there's an interesting. Career there. I also think there's a case to be made apropos of the the foreign um, affairs claim that Kissinger was America's greatest statesman. That maybe John Quincy Adams is America's greatest statesman if they're defining statesman
0: mm.
1: as. Um, influential diplomat i i, I think personship takes on v- a variety of roles but given that he both held elective and appointive office and was quite important in all of those and elective office after being president i think you can make a good john quincy adams case so john quincy adams was you know actually had an academic job mm. um prior to doing more substantial or more publicly high profile things, um, as a, as a diplomat and politician. So I think he's one, uh, another one would be Henry Cabot Lodge. Oh, okay. Who, you know, I, ha- I've had cause in working on my recent book to go back and read his biography of George Washington, which is actually very good. Henry Cabot Lodge wrote a lot of history in the late 19th century um i don't know i should have i don't know whether he actually ever held a professorship anywhere and if he did it would have been harvard um but henry cabot lodge who went on to become a very influential um senator of course and and might have been the person who ruined the league of nations uh, (laughs) was a kind of influential politician but also a scholar if not an academic maybe that's the way to put it but 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 at, at a time when History as a discipline in the United States was going through a transition from being sort of something that aristocrats like Lodge did mm. as a kind of hobby to becoming a proper discipline with certain kind of practices and methodologies and codes of conduct, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, Lodge's. You know, Lodge is active around the founding of the AHA and and uh um I, I think so those are two that come to me. I don't know whether okay. you have any others. And, uh, and I've, I've kind got, of stretched the rubric, I really okay.
0: So I'm I've got a few that the sort of the obvious one we haven't mentioned is Woodrow Wilson, of course, who has a PhD and wrote some books and president of Princeton before becoming governor of New Jersey and president and all these kinds of things. Uh so he's he's sort of the obvious academic He obviously made the full transition to politician. Um, uh, but but two that, that come to mind that were, were full time academics and never officially went into politics, but definitely had shaped political life in profound ways. Uh one was W. E. B. Du Bois. Of course, yep. Um, who had a PhD from Harvard and taught at Atlanta University, among other places and was among No, hundreds. his
1: PhD was from Germany, wasn't it? Because I, was think, I think he had from- I think he had two. Okay. So, I think right. he, he anyway. went
0: studying anyway. So um so he's somebody who who was you know really an academic in the full float you know throated sense of of the word having done all the the training that goes into a phd uh but then is you know publishes widely in all number of topics history sociology political science um obviously he's a, a wrote profoundly about about the history of uh, and current status of race in the United States and is one of the founders of the uh, NAACP uh, and lived a phenomenally long time. You know, He lives um, into the 1960s Is um, somebody who was able to sort of not only influence but then see the consequences of his influences in profound ways.
1: Yeah, he'd be a good candidate for uh, also somebody who was politically influential without holding office as office, well. Office, to be sure, Just, right. just to add,
0: yeah. But, yeah, yeah and but, and the, the other, well, I think it's intriguing that, obviously, his ability to hold public office is going to be profoundly limited by other things. Um, the other one who who, who is often compared to, to Du Bois and is not often thought of as an academic, but his main job was running a university, uh, is Booker T. Washington. Um, you know, who who's primary occupation was running the Tuskegee institute for 30 or 40 years i think um you know but was very politically influential uh both overtly and behind the scenes he's obviously most famous for for uh, you know dining with with president roosevelt and the sort of uproar that, that caused but he's somebody who is trying to um you know make up the best of a very bad situation in terms of, of race relations in the South, the end of the 19th and early part of the 20th century, trying to navigate that um, with as much uh, skill as you can. Um, and obviously, he's not a scholar in terms of publishing a great deal in, in academic sense, but he really did see uh, was from an academic background, so I'm going to put him on the list.
1: Yeah, those are all all, all good nominees I think and oh, arguably right. today any major University president is a political actor as well but uh, to be sure but, but 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 they don't necessarily have the kind of influence um the of the the figures we, you've just discussed but I mean if you're to running sure. a major institution that's a political job you know the president of Harvard today is is a is a politician effectively well you know
0: yeah you know, thinking about you know president of Harvard like Larry Summers might be another yeah. person that's in that category of people who's moving back and forth between academia and 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 political life for better or for worse. Um right. So but all these things being said, I think Kissinger still is a odd duck in many ways and somebody who's very hard to sort of find good comparisons for him because he is is so sort of distinctive in his uh both influence and uh I don't know refutation. Put it nicely.
1: In, obviously, historians will be talking about him for decades to come and mm-hmm. studying him and, and his legacy. Will he, you know, 50 years from now, will he be well known and well remembered? Not well remembered. I By well remembered, I don't mean thought well of. I mean, you know, will he will, you know, will, will his, you know, Andrew Carnegie is well known even today.
0: Yeah, he put his, his name, name on is a lot of things. kinds of things. Yeah, things, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, but but it's not just that.
0: Okay, um, I would say, honestly, no. I think Kissinger's, you know, he is. You know, both of us sort of lived in a, in a, a, a you know, time which Vietnam and the outcome of Vietnam is very central to our political thinking and the political world that we grew up in um i think for younger people today they don't think about vietnam as much it's not a central okay. you know and, and watergate seemed to be a huge scandal and that was very important to know and now not so much you know by comparison um you know he is one of the things that some commentators have said is that you know he was a masterful salesman of his own reputation and that you know he didn't have that many particularly original ideas and that sometimes he took credit for things that were actually things that Nixon did or actually things that other people in the State Department did. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure, I mean, I think he'll be somebody who is, you know, historians will talk about, but I'm not sure he'll have the kind of public presence that he's had, obviously he's gonna be dead, but, you know, he's not gonna have that kind of um, be that yeah, sort of looming or important to figure. I mean, think? he
1: gets a messy. Uh, sorry, he gets a mention in an episode of Faulty Towers, for example. Mm. And while that episode may well be watched fifty years from now because it's funny, uh, that might be one where yeah, you, you know there'll be a yeah, footnote a, to explain. To explain <laughs> who who, <laughs> who references to. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, but the, I mean, there there is an interesting aspect to Kissinger, which we referenced before, and that mm. he did for a time have this kind of presence in the culture beyond simply oh he was the secretary of state mm-hmm. or he's this foreign policy wonk in, in in washington uh so there was a time when he was a kind of if not a-list cultural figure pretty close
0: yeah he, um, he liked to hang out with important people and yeah people.
1: um but of course if we know one thing fame is fleeting right no, and and sure. and you know today's celebrities not many of them will be remembered 50 years from now, or they, you know, some of them will, but not many. Uh, so, um, sick trends of Gloria Mundi. Um, yeah, but, uh, there we go.
0: Right. Time for the last drop, Frank. What do we got?
1: So a couple of things, um, a couple of other recent deaths A lot of people no, that of died recently. Um, so of course Rosalind Carter recently passed away. So we ought to acknowledge that. And, and, uh, her kind of role as as um First Lady and, and, and the kind of tone that she and Jimmy Carter set in the White House was different from most of what had gone on both before or after. Mm. Um and after a very uh long and happy marriage, she has passed away. Um uh, to Jimmy Carter, and and she was quite influential. I mean, as many of the obituaries made clear, she was quite politically savvy and influential, uh, both in her own right and as First Lady of the United States and of Georgia. Uh, before that. And the same day that Kissinger died, Shane McGowan of the Pogues died. Mm. No, that's little relevance to the study of of American history. (laughs) I was thinking, Uh, how
0: are you going to connect those two dots?
1: Well, except you can't... you can't, it's early December now, and of course we're about to we're entering the peak uh, Christmas music season. And Fairy tale of New York" it will be played incessantly, which mm-hmm. is kind of a Christmas song or gets included, but isn't really. But but I think um, as many commentators, several commentators on social media and elsewhere made the point. You know, Shane McGowan, um, who who was a kind of really important cultural figure in Britain and Ireland, but uh, in the United States as well as as the lead singer and and main mm-hmm. songwriter for the Pokes, um, you know, wanted to undermine Kissinger at his moment of of a death because they died on <laughs> they died on the same night, so, or the same day. So, so we, just to acknowledge those uh, mm. the passing of those two uh, very very different but also important cultural figures um, and, and Sandra Day really, O'Connor. Yes, yes, you're right. Thank you. Uh, but my last drop is I want to pay tribute to the uh, Massachusetts Historical Society. So I was up there uh, over the weekend for a conference. Um, on the uh, let me get the title correct. It was Empire and Its Discontent, 1763 to 1773 was the title of the conference, and it was a, it was a conference on, you know, that we're about to have the semi quincentennial of the Boston Tea Party in the next few weeks. Okay. uh but it are they going to do that. anything for that? Are they gonna dump well, any I think I don't. Well, I don't know the whether they're doing anything about. Well, yeah, they're they're people are throwing tea in the harbor and all that kind of nonsense. But but the Mass Historical Society organizes really really great conference with colleagues at the American Philosophical Society. Uh, it was a great conference, but it was a reminder, a salutary reminder that there's a lot more to consider in the history of my period mm. than the Declaration of Independence, which is going to steal all the oxygen in the room in the run-up to 2026 because we're celebrating and commemorating the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. But the point really, uh, the lesson from this conference was that you know there's a lot more going on in this period than simply the Declaration of Independence. And we need to consider the period both before 1776, but also eventually after 1776 um, to to, to, uh, understand this history. And the Mass Historical Society is a great, great organization. It was a great honor for me. I got to uh, chair one of the panels and offer some comments uh, because that was the archive I did my first archival work in 30 plus oh, wow. years ago as a new graduate student. So to sit in the, you know, basically I was speaking in the reading room where I kind of first became a historian. Uh, so it was, it was nice to see old friends there and, and just pay tribute to a, really one of the great archives and research libraries in the United States um, and, and to thank them for running such a great conference. What about you, David?
0: Uh, I've got two stories I want to draw people's attention to.
1: One is a story about
0: the, the Grand old Opry but not the one in Nashville the one in Glasgow um which is the supposedly the home of country music in Scotland i didn't know if there was one but that seems to be it uh they have uh voted uh recently uh, by a vote of 50 to 48 to no longer fly the confederate flag in the grand old Opry in Scotland um, so it was 50 to 48 50 to 48 so it was a very narrow vote wow. there was like there was a whole issue where like The president or the person who ran the thing decided to stop it, and then he was forced to resign, and then there was some news coverage about it and and lots of internal fighting at this this, um, uh, country music night spot in in Glasgow about whether or not to to fly the Confederate flag and what does it mean to fly the Confederate flag in Scotland. Uh, Supposedly they they had a ceremony at the end of every evening that involved the Confederate flag, uh, which they are apparently no longer going to do. Uh, so that's a interesting news story about uh, the global Confederate flag uh, and country music and things.
1: Big country music, um, th- there was a great thing on on Radio Scotland a few years ago, or it might have even been BBC Radio Four. I can't remember about country music in Scotland. Uh, the, the country music in Scotland has deep roots. I mean, country music, of course, in the United States has. Scottish connections, mm-hmm. but also sure. it's been re-exported and, 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 uh, you know, especially in the West of Scotland. So, so I, I'm not, you know, the country music has a long and distinguished history in, in Scotland, but especially in Glasgow. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm
0: very, always very intrigued by sort of depictions of, of the Confederacy outside of you know, the normal context. So I thought that was a fascinating story. Cause I think they stopped flying the Confederate flag at the original Grand Old Opry like a decade ago. So, uh, just the story. The other one I want to point attention to: uh, there was uh, they have a new historic monument uh, in Durham, North Carolina, which many listeners know I have lived in on and off uh, for uh, many years uh, and have family there. But it's a monument to a, a black soldier named Booker T. S- uh, Spicely, uh, who uh, in Durham uh, was uh, boarded a bus in uh, in uniform in 1944. And ended up being shot by the bus driver uh, and killed by the bus driver because he uh, questioned uh, the segregation on the bus. Uh, and it was a very important event for the the local civil rights movement um, in in North Carolina. And obviously, the sort of context of, of the, the war made a, made that particularly important. Um, but it's a, a, an event that really hasn't gotten as much of attention probably as it should have have had. And so the, having a historical monument to that, I think is, is an important addition uh, to the landscape. Uh, so if you're on club Boulevard in Durham, uh, go, go check it out. Should be worth seeing.
1: Excellent. All right. Until uh, next week, Frank, cheers. Cheers, David.
0: The Whiskey Rebellion is hosted by David Silkenet and Frank Cogliano. David is a Senior Lecturer in American History at the University of
1: Edinburgh and Frank is Professor of American History and Dean International for North America at the University of Edinburgh.
0: The Whiskey Rebellion is available on iTunes, Stitcher and Popbean. You can follow the show on Twitter at Whiskey Rebel Pod, and like the show on Facebook for updates about current and future episodes.